The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Special Saturday edition of Dunkdown. We did not record yesterday because we do five episodes a week. And also, I had to celebrate my anniversary with my wife. So... Uh, We are going to talk about yesterday's two games and then Boston-Toronto today. And then tomorrow, we'll give you game two of Denver Clippers and the two games tomorrow. But let's begin here by quickly reminding you that you really only have, as of this recording, 48 hours to sign up for Dunkdown Prime. You're getting our best ever rate that we will never offer again. And you get a bunch of extra goodies as well, not just the podcast, but salary sheets. We're starting a Discord. Danny and I are going to do chats on those from time to time. You get daily links on all the best work around the NBA and some other stuff as well. So sign up for that if you haven't yet. Response has been just like absolutely completely insanely way better than i thought it would be i'm really humbled by the awesome response to this and really looking forward to being able to give you guys a ton of great content for years to come dunkedon.supportingcast.fm that link of course is in the show notes but you have until midnight on september 8th to get that special founding membership pricing locked in for as long as you want it Okay, Giannis Antetokounmpo may not be locked in as long as the Bucks want him. No, and I mean, the swing in Game 3 was absolutely stunning to me because you had, at, at the end of the third quarter, Milwaukee led 87-75. Miami had taken a total of eight shots in the restricted area. Their offense really hadn't been flowing. And it looked, you know, it was kind of the idea of like, even though Miami was more in this series than we anticipated, like the equilibrium wasn't where we thought it was, that it's like, okay, Milwaukee can play better. They can do everything and so you're like okay you know maybe it's gonna be a longer series i still would have picked miami to win it presumably based on how how game three went and then the fourth quarter happened yeah a it was tweeted out that this game featured the largest ever point differential in a fourth quarter of any playoff game ever what an incredible choke job it ended up at a 40 to 13 quarter you mentioned it that they had done a really good job of defending that all goes out the window they've it started by jimmy butler getting to the free throw line hitting a couple of difficult shots he also started hitting the jumper a little bit so that really got them started and there were ugly turnovers they couldn't hit a shot to save their lives guys the lineups were again really weird particularly the approach against butler once it started slipping away they tried Giannis on butler and just as we expected they just went to the pick and roll and butler was able to get something against Giannis. although he did hit some ridiculous shots like that running hook 
that he hit uh, along the lane line over Brooke Lopez and Giannis was incredible. And Butler, he was, he'd taken three shots as of about halfway through the third quarter and he finished it 7 of 13 14 of 19 from the free throw line if he'd shot free throws better he could have had even more and had 30 points he was plus 23 Dragic was plus 24 and well here's another sorry here's another way of putting it Jimmy Butler had 17 points in the fourth quarter including 9 of 11 from the free throw line the Bucks had 13 points yeah and they just could not score their defense fell apart they started fouling just every tenet of what they were like and it looked like they were getting better right like they're getting a little more at the rim Ghana got going in the third quarter they put up they put up two 30 point quarters already they're scoring just fine and then it all slipped away and I mean obviously let's not lose this thread that Miami has been awesome in this series Jay Crowder has been really good he was five of 11 on three pointers he hit huge three pointers in that fourth quarter uh as well they even got Derek Jones to come in and hit two three-pointers Iguodala hit two three-pointers I mean but you know there wasn't a crazy shooting performance like they're 38 percent if they had just kept up that rim defense they would have been fine uh, the Bucks would have uh and if they kept scoring okay they would have been fine and it just every single aspect of this Bucks team that we thought might be a vulnerability but we're like hey you know what their strengths are just so strong it could make up for that no Miami has neutralized their strengths and mercilessly mercilessly exploited the Milwaukee Bucks weaknesses including coaching which of course we will get to but 3-0 now we I gave the Bucks a better chance than just about any team down 2-0 but now at 3-0 surely this will be the end for the Milwaukee Bucks and what I think is most strong striking about what Miami has done. There are a lot of different things that we will discuss and inevitably some that we will miss. But what I I think is most striking is that they have done a really good job zeroing in on a couple of very narrow specific weaknesses. Well, one's a little broader in Giannis's game. So you brought up, they put up, they put Giannis on Jimmy Butler late. I think it was about the five minute mark. They went to that when nothing else was really working. And the really fun wrinkle that they did, it was not some big screening Giannis. It was Goran Dragic that was getting, you know, getting enough guard Hard screens can sometimes be hard for guys to get through, and Giannis is notoriously like that is one of the biggest weaknesses of his game. That's why he's a better help defender than one-on-one defender. Is getting through screens, and so Jimmy Butler was getting loose, and they were having that without in memory. Giannis, if he can't get through the screen, he's not around the basket, and so they were getting these better looks. They were getting more fouls because it was also the jumpier Bucks defenders that were coming over to help. And so I think that's number one, and then number two, and we'll talk about these separately, but I want to bring them both up now because while I'm on the thread, is betting on Giannis as betting against him him as a passer is probably the best way to put it where yeah they're they're loading to him but they're and and sometimes that's leaving good shooters but it's basically can Giannis find them especially once he started dribbling and that's just not a strength in his game now if you looked at the assist numbers for Giannis you would say wait what are you talking about like he makes some good passes for a guy his size and his athleticism absolutely and you know the defense collapses down on him a lot and he'll make the obvious pass but where he really misses it is I think what's hard about his game we talked about this a little bit before I can't remember if it was on the live show or the pod but the violence of his drives if you compare him with someone say Luka Doncic where Luka he's always under control he's able to kind of survey the floor whereas Giannis when he goes he fucking goes and he can he can make passes before he makes that decision to go but once he does it really gets a lot of ton of vision and he that's kind of how he's 
gets these plays right he's going with such violence and such force for these spin moves or these euro steps and he's sometimes just barely in control he'll travel he'll pick up offensive fouls which of course they have taken advantage of and he'll put his back to the defense and you can sneak up behind him and bother him and he's just not good enough at finding the guys the play that really stuck out to me was he again had a ton of trouble at the line and he gets his own free throw offensive rebound after two woefully short shots it's so short it just bounced right back to him at the foul line and then he decided to basically try and drive through three guys and you've got four bucks up just about or at least three around the three-point line he's caught at the foul line just waiting for a pass and instead he tries to go through three guys and picks up the offensive foul because you know i think he was just pissed off he missed the free throws and was really determined but sometimes that determination has worked against him and then obviously the other problem is his shooting from outside the restricted area has been atrocious and even in the short mid-range where he's had flashes of being able to make these shots like he hasn't been close to enough to keep the defense honest in this game he was six of nine at the rim and he was one out of 12 away from the rim and the short floater range that turnaround jumper going to his right off the spin move that he likes on occasion is way off and so I, before we get into everything else about this bucks team this version of Giannis has not been good enough. Like he has not played well enough in these series that they're lost and they're almost certainly going to lose these series to really be the guy, the best player on a championship team, particularly when you don't have another just like no-brainer all-NBA guy with him who can handle the ball and kind of be the guy at the end of games. And you saw just the utter lack of decision of who was going to be the guy attacking Bledsoe or Middleton or Giannis who got few touches down the end. Uh, as it all slipped away from them, you saw basically it was like everyone tried something that they couldn't do and couldn't do it. <laughs> it was right. what and happened for the last five minutes for them. This won't be the first, the only time in this podcast that I bring up this stat, but Milwaukee's half-court offensive rating in Game 3 was 86.7. And they're not the transition team that some of the teams are. They actually ran more in this game, but wasn't wasn't super successful overall. But that became a much bigger deal. I use the term feedback loops. And what a feedback loop is, is that it's when, you, when you're doing successfully on one end, it makes life easier on the other end. And that's why basketball is a game of runs. And so what was happening was Miami was, I would, I would start it honestly on the, probably on the offensive end. I thought that Miami was getting, they were getting baskets. They were also getting to the free throw line a ton. They had 19 free throws in just the fourth quarter. And so what that meant was Milwaukee was facing a set defense almost every single time. And Milwaukee, as great as they are, they're not a particularly strong half-court offense, especially against a good team. And so they were getting into those circumstances. They weren't getting buckets. And then Miami got some in transition, but they were they were just they weren't playing from a disadvantage that often. And so I, I thought that really fit in. And and the point about the not another all NBA guy, I think what's so what's so important about that is they don't even have the Bucks, don't even have another initiator that you really trust to create for other people. Now Chris Middleton can do it at moments. He's actually I would say Chris Middleton is the Bucks best passer. Easily. He also has also had some good scoring games overall. But he's he's a different type of really good yeah. player. He he can't draw two defenders very well. Right. Like, he, like he's not dynamic enough getting to the bat. I mean, is he taken a single 
single shot inside 15 feet in this whole series? I, I, I think a couple, but not very many. And and also, Middle, like, Middleton's superpower is that he makes tough shots at a better rate than most people, which, and, and he's good defensively, he does a lot of, and he doesn't take much off the table. But that's not the same thing. You need somebody who can create the looks because, you know, most often, DiVincenzo and Wes Matthews and Brooke Lopez, even as talented as all those guys are in blood, so that's not the strength in his game either. And that was also something that I, I really enjoyed about this game at moments was Bledsoe and Dragic, former teammates in Phoenix, very different strengths and weaknesses. And Dragic, you know, he can create that churn. He can create that, especially when he's when he's physically engaged. And so it's not necessarily like, oh, Dragic was, was a brutally efficient offensive player in this game. But at times he created a mismatch that then the Bucks, you know, helped or overhelped. And then that got a look for Derek Jones Jr. That got a look for Tyler Hero or somebody else. And so there were ways for the for the Heat to generate good looks that the Bucks just didn't have in this game. And that's that's not only a criticism of the Bucks; it's praise for the Miami Heat, whose defense has been incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought that the lack of Kelly Olenek was going to really hurt them. And it did, I thought, in the first one. They had to go to Myers Leonard, and then they had to go with Derek Jones Jr. at center. And, you know, neither of those worked incredibly well. But in the end, I mean, I think these offensive struggles for the Bucks don't surprise me that much. But ultimately, what killed them was a 120 defensive rating yeah. in this game. And this is a good Miami offense, but it's not a great Miami offense. And I think they've had the wrong strategy against Butler. I think they've had the wrong match. I think Wes Matthews, despite not being like the plus minus on him, is not good in this series. And he can't do anything inside the RP. So to guard him out there. And he has actually done a pretty decent job, I think, one-on-one against Jimmy Butler. But they fouled him. They've had the wrong matchup. Like he has killed Chris Middleton in this series. And, you know, Giannis, it's just, it's not really a great option there either for the reasons that we've discussed. And yeah, and also you're taking your best help defender out of these plays. And so it really was just, uh, and then when they, when the Bucks start fouling is really where it falls apart for them, because now there's no possibility of getting transitioned the other way, as you talked about. So, uh, let's take a break here. We'll, we'll talk a lot more about, about this. There'll be plenty of time, obviously, for Milwaukee Bucks future speculation. Um, but we got a lot more in the blame game here first before we get. <laughs> Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife... And I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. 
And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to remember slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside and things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us for that <laughs> so hollinger wrote a nice piece today i'm sure i'll talk to him about it some about budenholzer the minute tolls again after the game he said you know 36 minutes is really pushing it for these guys in this uh caliber of a game and and brooke lopez had 38 which is the most anyone's played all series and we talked about this i know we talked about it on the cast as we were doing the game i don't know if we talked about it on this show but you know it's not like jimmy butler and bam like they're playing that many more minutes than these bucks guys are either um and but it's also played guys a lot of minutes before uh back when he was with the hawks and maybe that his opinion has changed on that and he feels like the system doesn't work um the other thing i would say too is that they still don't have the kind of versatility you would need like they could put out some awesome switching lineups you're like Anacupo might be the best switching defensive center we've ever seen and that way then you don't have to get through a screen if you're switching everything and then you know middleton if they're switching everything and you have to go one-on-one against him with you know a bunch of guys in help position late in the clock he can hold up okay they got blood so they got marvin williams who would be pretty good in that role they've got some other guys with some size they had malcolm brogdon uh and, Matthews, but they, I think, would do well in a switching system. Yeah, but, you know, you have to actually, like, practice that at times, which they never did. And, you know, I get that because Brooke Lopez has been a really, really good player for them, and you would imagine that you would stick with that, but... Um, to just not have that option available against a, a Heat team that's not, you know, just some crazy, they don't have like, they don't have James Harden as an isolation scorer, right? Like Jimmy Butler is an okay isolation scorer and Dragic, I don't think is really a great isolation scorer. He's more of a pick and roll guy. So, you know, that's something that they could have done, but that's that's not really in their arsenal, Um, despite trading for Marvin Williams is part of why I liked that. Um, Well, I'll, I'll, I'll interject. Um, Jared yeah. Dubin and I did a Real GM radio podcast that we recorded actually before Bucks Heat 
game three, and we talked a lot about the difference between Budenholzer and Nick Nurse, and a lot of it was the philosophical idea that Budenholzer, you know, it's building an optimized system. They win a ton of regular season games, and, and he deserves credit for how he has elevated this talent. Remember where the Bucks were before, and they added Brook Lopez and a few other capable pieces, but, you know, the bones of this team are pretty similar to where they were before, and players have improved, but Budenholzer has helped that. But part of what Nick Nurse has done, and part of why we both think he's the best coach in the league, is using the regular season as, let's call it, preparation for the playoffs. Some of that is the laboratory stuff, but the larger element of this is playoff series get weird. Playoff series are challenging. You're facing superior opposition night in, night out, but you're also facing a team that is adjusting to you throughout the series. And that can be individual things of, oh, this guy, when he drives this way, it looks a little bit different, or this cover doesn't work or anything like that. And so what Nick Nurse has done with the Raptors, and we saw a lot of this in game four of Raptor Celtics, which we'll talk about later in this podcast, of trying different things. And part of why you do that is so your players are comfortable with it so that if you have to go to it in the playoffs, if you need to pull out a triangle in two or a box in one or a matchup zone in, and that changes into a man-to-man, your guys can do it. And and so I think what what the lack of the lack of flexibility for the Bucks is a real challenge because it doesn't acknowledge that for the most part, you can't steamroll your way through. And you really can't steamroll your way through if your best guys aren't playing more than 36 minutes. Yep, I agree with that. And to not have at least tried that as well, to just be like, no, oh, no, they can't play more than 36 minutes. Like, like just no explanation. That's just a hard and fast rule. Certainly, I, 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 I hope question somebody that. asked Kyle Lowry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the other thing that we, and this is another thing that we've known about the Bucks all year, is, you know, who is the high IQ player on this team? Like, there really isn't anyone you look at. Maybe that's Middleton a little bit. Maybe that's Marvin Williams. But as you saw them throw away possessions with early quick shots. I mean, Bledsoe has been a struggle for him in the playoffs for years and years with that. Uh, Or, I mean, they finally excised Connaughton from the rotation at least, but Giannis took some atrocious jump shots in this game 0 for 7 from 3 and you know they were getting good stuff when he was attacking why not try and set up threes for somebody else um you know i mean that's really what pushed him to this terrible for i mean to give his stat line it's really ugly he's 21 points but 7 to 21 from the field and then you throw in another six shooting possessions on free throws where he only made seven out of 12 so and three turnovers so he did have nine assists uh, but it really was not uh, one of his good performances. Obviously, he's had two really bad games in the series and one okay game by his standards. And, you know, Brooke Lopez gets a lot of tunnel vision. So the lack of passing, the lack of IQ, they made mistakes defensively at key times in this game. And Miami, credit them because they are a very high IQ, high IQ team. And they move the ball. They have a lot of good passing. They have a lot of good systems. It, they've got Bam as a hub to always run something off of. They have a, enough shooting. They have enough gravity. And what's more, they're also playing harder than the Bucks. Pretty much everyone in this series has acknowledged that. And that's a recipe to go from the number one seed to being down 3-0. I think the only other team that I can think of that was the number one seed that got swept was the Raptors in 2018 against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, well, I'm sure we could go through and look up that. I have a couple other points that I want to make. One, Dante DiVincenzo actually played pretty well in this game. Did have a couple of bad fouls on Tyler Hero, two of which were on the floor and then led 
led to free throws because the the Heat were in the bonus. But DiVincenzo overall, he was more more capable. Had that beautiful cut that Giannis actually found him. He hadn't dribbled yet and found DiVincenzo on a cut and got a basket. He ended up with ten points in twenty one minutes. And full credit to Budenholzer for not playing back Connaughton, who had been overplayed previously in the series. Though I think Corver actually could theoretically just be a, di- a change of pace. I thought that yeah. he, he, you know it's, there's an argument that he brings something that nobody else really does. Uh, so I, I thought that was interesting. And then the only kind of like one of the only demerits for Eric Spolstra is that I think he's real, he's giving Kendrick Nunn minutes that Nunn probably shouldn't play. It, coming back from COVID, there isn't really a playmaking rule for him, but it's 12 minutes a game. That's not that big a deal over the course of 48 times five. Yeah, Dunn has had a little bit of struggles. I mean, and, and just to go through it again, I mean, I think we're probably about done here on, uh, on this series, and uh, and, and we we'll talk a little bit about the future here for the Bucks because we do have a lot of a lot else to cover. But Bucks fourth quarter six to twenty three, oh for ten from three, one of two from the foul line. Miami ten of eighteen from the field, three of nine all was all from three, but seventeen of nineteen from the foul line. I think Miami got into the bonus with maybe like eight minutes left in the quarter and then just a bunch of other like undisciplined fouls from the box and some of it was you know some fouling and the desperation times late but you know clearly that's just where they lie and this team if they're fouling they just that's what the whole system is built around it all breaks down if they're not going to have that discipline well, here's another one. Miami had more assists in the fourth quarter than Milwaukee had made baskets. And when you consider that Miami had 19 free throws as well, it's pretty ridiculous. And I, I was really impressed. You brought it up earlier, but I want to emphasize it because that was a big change in the first half was not only was Kelly Olynyk not available and Myers Leonard didn't play well. Yes, he was plus three, but he was he was bad out there other than a, like one nice pass that I, I did really like from him. But Bam got in foul trouble and that was a, a challenge for Spolstra to manage. Bam ended up not fouling out of this one. He, he had four and they play they play so much better in his minutes than when bam sits because he's the guy that gives them part of their defensive identity but to deal with that and then to also deal with iguodala being limited due to the ankle he did end up playing and had a couple of big shots had had a big three especially but he only iguodala only played 11 minutes and miami they're you know they're not shallow but they're not especially deep especially with two of their key bench players limited or out and so to manage that and still you know and and to make the rotation as sound as they do to have a theory of the lineup all the time which Spo always does it makes a world of difference yeah and I think I, honestly I think the Bucks kind of choked in in that fourth quarter I, I it's rare that you will hear me throw that around you, did you say you agree they lost their composure about yeah. I think it was Miami went up about four and you kind of went okay Milwaukee could still be in this and then that's really when the foul barrage started and, and Bledsoe and Giannis each checked out some shots and I'm gonna give they them missed a, a bunch of layups too like they're yeah, four true. or nine at the rim I'm gonna give a basic rule here which is that to me if Giannis takes a jump shot with more than five seconds on the shot clock it is a failed possession for the Milwaukee Bucks and he, there were eight of those in this game and most of them were just terrible shot choices and it's true that not every one of those is going to become a gem of a possession but and it's true that Giannis is going to make more than zero of eight most of the time but the general principle holds and it's that idea of we can do better and it's kind of being an offensive optimist in that respect and understanding your own flaws and Giannis kind of like Joel Embiid he wants to just like spite the opponent and prove it to them but unlike Joel Embiid like 
Embiid has touch, and I think he can he can do better there. And Giannis, wonderful player, deserving MVP, and that doesn't make him a perfect player. Just like there are great coaches that aren't good at everything, and I, I think it's worth to me that makes me love the sport more that even the best players have very have have notable flaws that can be exploited. But it's it, it, it it's a challenge. Yeah, and a deserving regular season MVP. It's a regular yes. season award, but uh, yeah, and just like Ka- Kawhi Leonard the- might become the best player in NBA history to never win a regular season MVP, and that doesn't make him a worse player. Yeah, that's okay. He can settle for being one of the best playoff players of all time, which is what he is right now. Uh, So now, of course, the speculation is going to gin up and who knows what if this next game isn't close we probably won't even talk about it that much if it's close we will but or if the bucks win we will and he has one more year left obviously they can offer him the super max this summer i mean i think there's got to be a very low chance now that he would say yes right i mean if they had a satisfactory season room and don't forget malika andrews reported last year after they got eliminated by the raptors that making it to the finals this year was going to be the goal and that that would be instructive in him deciding to stay. he does seem to have a lot of loyalty to the organization let's not forget what they all just went through uh, as far as like the protests and all that stuff and that you know potentially that that's uh could be a mitigating factor in all this and i'm sure many in the organization will say hey you know we just got killed by the fact that we lost our continuity but let's not forget that Giannis was injured uh, you know in march when uh, the season was, he was gonna probably miss like two weeks right then so uh i don't that argument doesn't hold a lot of water to me i mean miami obviously made great use of the time and they didn't have this goran dragic back in the regular season and all that but you know this miami team is still not i woefully underestimated them i completely admit that and jimmy butler has massively exceeded my expectations and you know we'll see how this playoffs ends up for him but could be rife for a review of where he really stands in the nba uh after these playoffs but you know i still think that this is a team that they probably should have beaten um and or maybe they shouldn't have beaten maybe they just weren't that good and the regular season just doesn't mean anything so and i guess i guess that's worse right if you feel like no actually they probably shouldn't have beaten them that's that's when it's really bad for Giannis. so i this is my prediction i'm sure there'll be much more reporting on this i'm sure i'll change my opinion i predict that he will start next season with the bucks and we'll kind of see how that season goes my still most likely outcome for what happens is they play it out to the end game and he ends up leaving in free agency i don't believe that he will push for a trade that's the only way i would think that he could get out and the bucks might even still say no at that point and i don't think that Giannis has it in him to really go full Kawhi leonard vince carter and try and get out of there um and certainly not to make a public trade request with public reporting you know i think if, if anything he would try and do that behind the scenes although i will say this danny he's gonna have to make a trade request that becomes public because otherwise if the if the first because it's all about people's first impressions right and sorry i'm kind of working through this as i think about it but it's all about people's first impressions if the first thing we hear is bucks trade Giannis without it getting out that he wanted to be traded beforehand people are going to go completely insane right you got to kind of spoon feed it to him a little more so it's like all right you know then you read the think piece that bucks have no choice but to to move on and, and get some assets for him they know he's going to be leaving he said he's going to be leaving you so that drama almost has to play out over a couple months from a pr standpoint to where because if you just sledgehammer people with oh yeah this guy just got traded out of nowhere that's like there's no way like you can't that will just like be i I think there's no way that they're willing to deal with that pr here What what do you think of that theory 
I think they're, that they can deal with the PR hit. I think that's a very temporary thing. To me, the question is going to be, if Giannis wants to leave, whether he has a specific destination in mind and whether that destination can only acquire him one way or the other. So the example here, and I'm not using this because I'm based in the Bay Area, but the Golden State Warriors cannot sign Giannis functionally. Like, yeah, you could con- concoct a scenario where yeah. they clear I mean, maybe a sign trade, but they would have to dump so much salary. Because they'd be hard to and so, yeah. so functionally, let's 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 deal in the world of the probable. The Warriors cannot get Giannis in 2021. So that means, or sorry, they can't get him in the summer of 2021. So that means if if he wants to go there, and if they want him, then it has to be before then. And so if that, let's say theoretically, he wants to do that. Now, if it's if it's a place like Toronto or wherever, then it's a different then it's a different question because theoretically, if he wants to go there, then it could be in in 2021. And the other part of that, and remember. It, sometimes a player knows where they want to go the team could sign them anyway and they still push it through like the Anthony Davis thing and what's a really interesting question there is whether kind of how he sees this in terms of the end game so remember that generally there will be a consequence in that if Giannis wants to leave of making your team worse you know like would the Lakers be better right now if they had waited for one more year and not given up the farm to get Anthony Davis but LeBron James is 35 turning 36 so the calculus is a little different there so I think that's the other thing and but what you're talking about with the the kind of the reporting what i think is going to be change that from a little bit from what you're saying is the extension i think that yon if, if they very publicly pub very publicly if it's just obviously reported that he will not sign that extension i think that gets the thing pieces going and then it becomes do you do you want to be the next oklahoma city where your star player leaves you get nothing for it and now some people will say well look oklahoma city they ended up turning it ended up turning out pretty damn well for them but that that was some of that was great gming by sam presti some of it was good for fortune but that is a a very different conversation and so i think that's what's going to what's going to start the church is going to be the is going to be the extension and i i talked about this during the hiatus with eric nem that my belief is that even if Giannis thinks that being in Milwaukee for the short term or, you know, not sure, sure, sure in the long term is the best play. I still don't think he should sign the designated veteran extension because it gives so much control to the franchise and it it commits him to them, even though a lot of the support players on this team are way older. And so like I basically said straight up, like I I would advise Giannis unless his priority is securing the most money long term, he should not sign this contract straight up. So that's another interesting part of this. Yeah. But of course that's born of not having a certainty that he wants to be there going forward, which I I would imagine would not be the case um and I, I think that will be a little bit of an inflection point um I think that the hey let's you know because OKC remember their situation number one they couldn't offer the extension which I, I know you know but just to remind the listeners and number two I think they had a better narrative now I mean assuming that they're gonna lose in uh, this abject pathetic fashion to the heat or even in any fashion frankly uh and now I mean Giannis is still limping around too he had this ankle injury early in the game and looked like he was moving around okay but uh you know he maybe that'll swell up or whatever um but regardless of that they're gonna almost certainly lose in the second round which is a huge disappointment with their full team available and so that's different than OKC where the year before KD left KD was just unavailable and they didn't even make the playoffs 
so because he had that foot issue and so coming back from there and there wasn't any extension they that they could offer him so they i think oklahoma city had will have a more plausible belief that they could have won the championship coming into that year than the bucks will have going into next year after these abject failures and so maybe there'll be some changes at coach with Budenholzer I mean it's pretty amazing to say that because he was second in coach of the year this year and he was number one the year before and he's done an amazing job in the regular season but maybe you're at the point where he's gotten this system in place and now you need like a better tactician at the end maybe that'll be the thought who knows maybe that's the last desperation move that they can make maybe they can try to make some personnel changes although they have few options available there as we'll talk about more going forward so I do think it would have to be a specific trade request I think Giannis seems like a loyal guy he's got another year left on the contract i think he's gonna feel like hey i signed this contract i owe it to them to play it out here and play hard i don't see him doing you know the ad for example but maybe if you get to the trade deadline and they're kind of looking the way like this year's sixers looked and it's just clear that it's not going to happen and because it's not going to happen they have no way to get better and there there's no way that he's going to stay at that point then maybe the the deal happens at the trade deadline and obviously the warriors probably have the best package and the most incentive um you know we'll see who they end up dropping and and how those, that guy looks but maybe we see more action at the 2021 trade deadline um I, we should probably move on to like actual basketball here but obviously this is this is my first time really getting a chance to sit down and think about all this so it was good to talk. ah the sweet sound of sports you love from sling the collide of football pads the squeak of shoes on a basketball court the crack of the bat on a home run the slice of skates cutting across the ice but what about this one that's the sound of all the sports you love all at once starting at 40 dollars a month experience it all live with sling sling anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a show room rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace user in our capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us 
Fuck about it. Yeah, so let's let's go to the other game on Friday, and that was the absolutely fascinating game one between the Houston Rockets and the Los Angeles Lakers. The Rockets ended up winning it 112 to 97, especially with that massive fourth quarter where they outscored them 27 to 18. And I got a few things wrong in this series. Not not a big surprise, but but the biggest one was I had this this larger theory that when it, you know if the game ends up being ISO versus ISO, that even though the Lakers didn't have great guys for Harden, it would work out okay and that they didn't have any answers for LeBron and Anthony Davis and while I still think some of that could be true it just didn't present the advantages that I thought it would yeah and part of that of course was the miserable Lakers three-point shooting yes uh, you know which is they had some big nights uh, against the Portland Trailblazers but you know if you don't have big nights against the Portland Trailblazers there's probably something wrong with you uh and it was 11 of 38 three-point shooting I thought that in the second half the Lakers defense was actually good enough to win um and they kind of got beat by some Russell Westbrook jumpers that you know were, were not necessarily sustainable and but in the first half I thought their defense on Harden was awful they fouled him a ton I think he had 11 first half free throw attempts and only one in the second and he had 25 and a half finished the game with 36 but a few things that I would note here, LeBron James, only 15 field goal attempts, AD, 16 field goal attempts. I think that's kind of what you're talking about there, where you thought those guys would have the advantage in isolation. And they, there's a lot of things they can do to give those guys more advantages. The Lakers did not isolate that much, but there's a lot of driving kick and they didn't have guys who could make shots. And then uh, their role players really, I mean, did is there a single role player? For the Lakers, who had a good game, Caruso maybe is the only one you could look at. Yeah, I'd say Caruso was all right, and um, yeah, Markeith didn't play particularly well. Rondo, oh, oh, that's a surprise. <laughs> Rondo really struggled, which was not a surprise to us. Danny, Green, oh, that's a surprise. Danny oh, wait, sorry, Green couldn't hit shots. KCP couldn't hit shots. Yeah, I mean that that was really true. And you know, we know that Houston will challenge those inferior players to beat them, and in this game, they could not. But I think the Lakers, it's not necessarily their mo, but they have the personnel to just be like fine we'll just beat you that way and I thought the most telling stat from this game was that the Lakers had an 82 offensive rating in the half court they were reasonably effective when they ran and they ran a reasonable amount especially when LeBron was on the floor but they just couldn't get anything in the half court and part of that I want to give full respect to Houston's defense I thought that the Houston's defense did a very good job overall the players executed and they played really hard the the strength of this team really did help but a lot of it was also the Lakers not putting them into difficulty no I I totally agree with you there let me let's just back up from a high level here i'm sure we'll have some specific notes but uh you had lakers in five i had lakers in six how does this game change your expectation of the series obviously just because they won lakers in five seems pretty uh unlikely right now but it's still possible but in terms of just how this is going to play out overall what would your new prediction for the series be it feels like six or seven to me um and one of the big things that you brought up in the preview and i just i guess part of me just thought it was so apparent was that frank vogel is going to have to adjust like they're going to have to really approach some of these things differently i think i'm going to go with seven i think like on the talent level i'm still thinking it's a more of a shorter series but yeah i'm going to go lakers and seven what would you say yeah yeah, I think I would too, because 
I think they've got options against this Houston defense, but it's going to take them some time to figure it out and get to their best groups. And then even if they do, it's unclear if they're going to hit enough shots. And so between the fact that it's going to take them a while, it seems like to really get to where they need to attack, which is a surprise because I mean, how much experience does LeBron James have going against a switching defense? But this is, this is not those Cleveland teams offensively. It's not even close to that. Um, and finding a way to get AD going uh, as well is something that they really need to do. Uh, you know, the Lakers only had 18 assists on 35 field goals. That's really poor for them. They, they like to move the ball around and set guys up. Um, and there's also the rotational questions as well uh, for Vogel, you know, with I mean, Morris has been terrible all playoffs. There's, I can't understand why he would possibly be out there. Rondo got 25 minutes. I know they're trying to get him back up to speed. They paid him. Some of that was garbage time. He wouldn't have played that much if it were competitive throughout. But him playing 25 minutes and Caruso 16 is insane, particularly given how good Caruso was. And, he, and Caruso actually hit shots uh, as well in this, which he had been 5 of 28 from 3 coming in in the bubble. So, uh, and Rondo was he had a bunch of turnovers, uh, four turnovers in 25 minutes including an out-of-bounds a pass from out of bounds that hit off the backboard trying to throw a lob to to nobody and uh he was fell down a bunch of times he's really bad on defense and rondo to me is not one of these guys where it's like okay we got to get this guy back in the mix because without him we're not winning it so we got to just like live with the growing pains from him i mean i think they could be better off without him you kind of maybe play him for you know six minutes a game and see if he really has it or not but um and i'm actually surprised that houston didn't attack him more defensively than they did i think that is coming at some point in time so uh, that's a, a concern uh kuzma being completely and utterly cooked every single time in isolation like he'd made all these strides forward and everyone was like oh man this guy's actually looking pretty good defensively where did this come from that was all totally a thing of the past eric gordon russell westbrook james harden whoever he tried to guard out there and they need him if they're going to play with davis at center uh they went after him every time and particularly with the amount of spacing that houston had kuzma got totally roasted um so there are a lot of things like and if if danny green and kcp combined to go three for 12 from three it's really hard to see how the lakers are going to score enough in this series and they're never going to be a super high volume three-point shooting team so it's hard to find the right combinations um anything else just on that larger question of just like how the series has changed and how it's going to go uh in the future i mean we can talk about some of the more specific adjustments and aspects of this game i'm trying to think uh yeah i mean we, we talked about some of the players that should play more and less and i think that the lakers did a better job defending harden after that horrendous early going so you can assume that some of that will just be cleaned up the adjustments of having yeah. to play against well, james harden well can i break in on that too i mean they started off with kind of i mean it wasn't quite the crazy we're gonna sit like totally on your left hand and just give you a lane to the basket but it might as well have been i mean it basically was letting him drive to his right hand whenever he wanted to in the first half but they didn't actually add in the whole don't actually, foul and have a big rim protector yeah there. like have brooke lopez or rudy gobert standing there and actually prevent the shot and but i thought they just you know harden did not have the step back going against oklahoma city and so i thought they really overreacted to him in a lot of ways and he did have a completely brilliant first half i I thought but to start off with you know danny green is a pretty good defensive player and so why not and and he's got experience defending him from when he was with the spurs without fouling. i don't think green really got many of those fouls to my recollection no he did not but to be like all right you know we're gonna just sit on your right hand and just let you blow by and drive and kick and we don't have necessarily the same type of rim protection that some of these teams do you know once we're already all spread out right like this is 
that's part of what Houston's new strategy is, is because you've got shooters in each corner, that whole, okay, make him drive to his right hand thing doesn't work because you you got to now take somebody off the shooter if you're going to have someone come over. So you're basically just giving up an immediate three-pointer on every possession with that strategy now, as opposed to being like, okay, we got Rudy Gobert back here, Brooke Lopez, who's going to play Harden and Capella one-on-one. That doesn't work anymore. So I thought, I really questioned that strategy, particularly because the whole point of that strategy is number one, don't let him get to his left hand for playmaking uh, to throw the, the pass to the opposite side. And number two, because the step back is just so good that you got to force him inside the arc. But he didn't hit his first step back until he hit one on Kuzma at the very end of the half. Like, I think you just start off playing straight up with Danny Green, who's a good defender, and try and keep him in front of you. And then if he starts going crazy with the step back, okay, then you can adjust. But I, I thought they really just almost like treated it like he was already on fire before the series even started. Well, and then the other thing that was really surprising to me about the Lakers was the general sloppiness. Like, they had some really bad turnovers in this one. There was also KCP, like, some of Eric Gordon's eight three-point attempts were just KCP straight up just not not trailing him, not following him. And, yeah. and so those, I mean, yes, it's true that the Lakers, you know, they just were in a weird series against the Blazers, whose best player missed the last game and everything like that. But it's like, this is a team full of veteran players that have been in high-pressure situation for. All right, let's just hit a few more from the random notebook. And should we just like, I mean, it's not quite the same personnel, but should we just like play back all the things that we told Oklahoma City to do at the start after game one of the series, their series against Houston? Yes. Right. Like offensively where it's just like, hey, guess what? They switch every screen. So maybe just maybe when you're down 15 and you go to your best lineup, don't run an ATO that's just going to have Anthony Davis trying to post up PJ Tucker without setting a screen first to get a better matchup. Like Anthony Davis, it's not going to get a good shot on PJ Tucker. I pretty much can guarantee you that. I've seen him guard him for four years now, going back to when uh, PJ Tucker was on the Suns and AD was on the, the, I guess it was the Pelicans. It might even been the I Hornets. I think it was the first year on the Pelicans, yeah. Yeah, So uh, or Pelicans instead of, instead of Hornets. So uh, that's not really going to work. Or, you know, LeBron trying to po- post up PJ Tucker. Like, they're switching everything. Like, get the matchup that you want. I mean, did they go at Robert Covington more than, like, twice in the whole game? Or, you know, at least maybe try to post up Russell Westbrook with AD instead or something? Like, they really, you know, now they did go, AD actually had some pretty good success on Harden. He scored sh- three straight buckets on him in the second quarter when they had some of the bench groups out there. But overall, and AD had an efficient game. Like, I think he was probably the best player. So that's one. And then also LeBron just... He only had two post-ups in this game that uh, either led to a shot or forced help that led to a shot, according to Synergy. And again, you know, how did they try this small, small pick and rolls to get LeBron a matchup against someone like Covington and then have him back down? That didn't really work at all either. Um, So just more aggression, more time. I mean, LeBron looked like he looked at the start of the Portland series, you know, to only have 20 points. He scored 13 points in the first 17 minutes of the game and then only had seven after that. Only seven assists, four turnovers. Like he didn't have a good game. He's gonna have to didn't get to the foul line either. So he needs to just play with a lot more aggression. Um, anything else that you stuck out to you or or things that they could change? No, those those were the biggest ones to me. And and you know some of it was kind of aberrational stuff that you think will turn back. I mean Russell Westbrook hitting a bunch of jump shots. Some of the, some of those types of things. But yeah, I, I think it was amazing how much low hanging fruit was not picked. Yeah, a couple other just small notes here. 
the big run, a 10-0 run to start the fourth that really Yeah, put remember the game I talked about reach. the non-hardened minutes as being a big potential advantage, and then the non-hardened minutes ended the game for the Lakers. Well, and not only that, but they had a unit out there with LeBron. A lot of the time, they even brought back AD, and the run continued. Yeah. And that was Eric Gordon and Russ, you know, a lot of that at the expense of Kuzma. And Houston had, I think, 30 isolations in this game, which is a lot, but they like to spread the floor out and that's the uh, isolation basketball works eric gordon was unstoppable getting i mean i think he might be better than as an offensive initiator than russell westbrook at, at least at this point in time I think so. but um let's see what else did i have here oh yeah there was one play that i thought was very indicative down 12 markeith morris tries to post up on austin rivers oh yeah i was going crazy. and then gets no advantage kicks it out and then lebron drives into four guys nobody is spaced out and you know the ball goes out of bounds they try to set up baseline out of bounds and you can see lebron just like spreading his his arms apart like get out of there space out the floor like you know and in houston we talked about how they do a great job of protecting the room robert covington again another fantastic defensive game for him i mean he's as a small forward i mean he's one of the best shot blockers i've ever seen i mean he's right up there with like you know kd back when he was a, a small forward uh javel mcgee tried to post up a couple times against Harden. i'm guessing that wasn't a play call it's just to fail i've got a small <laughs> guy i'm gonna try and post up and like but the problem with that is we talked about this with mason Plumley that when you try and post up you're basically just like clogging up a bunch of space and the offense can't do anything else and so they didn't throw it to him but that like short-circuited possessions the lakers defensively i mean they were happy to switch anything involving danny green ad and lebron with their base groups um and you know that seemed to work okay i think they just have to have a play hard and a little bit more straight up and make him really start proving that he can hit that setback three and if he does then you can adjust a little bit one thing that of course was a big topic of discussion was are the lakers going to go big or small and going big had much better numbers than going small although a lot of times when they go small with ad at center it's with lebron off the floor or some bench units where you know it's not necessarily their best group i think vogel he went to his best group when they're already down i think by 14 at early in the fourth and that group wasn't able to get any traction that was uh kuzma ad lebron kcp danny green um but i mean do you have any thoughts on like the big versus small aspect going forward i think that they need to reconsider kuzma if if he's going to get cooked i mean he hasn't been in the rest of the seeding yeah. games in the playoffs but if if because remember if a player gets roasted like this by the rockets they're just going to keep going to it like they understand how the system works they understand okay let's find our point of greatest advantage and let's press let's press the loving hell out of it which is what the lakers well, so, should so be so who doing. are you replacing him with though is my question yeah, it's a great it's a great one um honestly i would consider waiters just because of the the physical strength and that also might be the answer of that's why you go a little bigger well and kuzma has sucked offensively in the bubble too like if he were making shots or uh you know could do a little pick and roll or maybe like a little post up against switches or something like all that like awesome footwork that people used to talk about from him his first couple of years you know we haven't seen really much of that this year and you know he might be the kind of guy who has to take a bunch of shots to get into a rhythm and stuff and that's you know he's not going to get those type of opportunities going to have to find them i mean you know they're never going to do this but i would at least consider jared dudley caruso i mean more than 16 minutes probably for him although i do worry oh, yeah, he's that, probably he's probably my fifth guy yeah i do worry that he could be his one-on-one -on -one defense he just doesn't have the heft to deal with harden westbrook or gordon and but he's at least going to play hard he'll be a good to help defender he'll fly around at you know there's also the concern that he's not going to hit shots but he, he did that in this game uh so you know he certainly was one of their five best players in this one um and you know there's a thought that hey maybe 
maybe if you're just if nobody can hit a three that maybe what you need to do is just have like JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard out there just because they can yeah they're not spacing the floor but they at least have some gravity with the with those dunks and you may maybe you'll even see guys you know is JaVale McGee under the rim or Rajon Rondo at the three-point line more likely to prevent their man from helping you know there's a thought behind that there and I think they got to play around with things a little bit more uh for the Rockets they did try McLemore instead of Rivers first and McLemore immediately took an awful three like I think it might even been like off of one dribble off balance like and you know I know Mike D'Antoni is like hey you got to shoot when you're open or you're coming out but uh he was not open and so they immediately took him out and put in Rivers and Rivers played well uh with 10 points plus 11 two or three from three he was not hitting his threes in, in the Oklahoma City series and uh let's talk a little Boston and Toronto here yeah I mean Saturday early game we did it for the the NBA cast and I wonder it, it, how this you know like when we look back when the series is over whether kind of the idea i've talked about is with ben Golliver of how like everything looks different in hindsight about whether this is like oh the raptors were really figuring things out or whether it's as basic as boston made seven or 35 threes and i think the answer is somewhere between the two and we talked a lot of in the early part of this about the series about how toronto was really having trouble creating good shots and i thought that they did a much better job in this one early on it was kyle lowry getting to the free throw line a ton it changed up later on pascal siakam was getting better shots overall though he missed some of those too and um, but overall, I thought that the Raptors they were they're getting better looks and they were making those and their defense is still great and it's I mean that's a part of the reason why Boston's offense sputtered. Yeah, I, game one we talked about it right where Boston shot it well from three and the Raptors did not and so oh was it just that? Well, number one, Boston blew out the Raptors in game one and Toronto was a semi comfortable win. You know they were up three possessions or so for the last three four minutes, but uh. But in particular, the distribution of the threes were Boston 5 of 23 above the break, but 2 out of 12 on those corner threes that they went 10 out of 13 on in game one. Uh, and also, Toronto got to the foul line a little bit more. Uh, overall, they did extremely poorly at the rim, only 8 out of 19. And then they shot 41% on above the break threes. And they got some decent looks. I thought they, to a large extent, got better looks above the break than the Celtics did. Uh, and they have, you know, Lowry and Van Vliet are pretty darn good three-point shooters on on some of those plays so they weren't going to keep missing all the time but I do think Boston was pretty much right in I thought the run of play was pretty similar between these two teams in this one other than the shooting difference and you know Boston other than the first quarter of game one you know it's been pretty much even since then and Boston certainly will have the advantage in terms of fatigue with the amount of minutes that Van Fleet and Lowry and Siakam and at times Ananobi have been playing uh, but I mean this is a 2-2 series and that's amazing to think about I mean this is an even more impressive jolt back up off the canvas than the Raptors had last year against the Bucks. I mean to be just 0.5 seconds away from down 3-0 and now have it back tied 2-2 uh, you know 48 hours later is incredibly impressive so um you know, a lot more just general notes from this game. But again, same thing that I asked you about the Lakers series. You know, what do you foresee as the tenor of this series going forward? I mean, I think 
seven games is looking pretty darn likely. We both had that, obviously. Yeah, we did. And that is the way that it feels for me. I think it's a, a well-contested series. And, and Toronto getting better shots bodes well for this being a longer series. I think that Toronto, you know, I think of Boston as the favorite. I think that Toronto has to outplay them to win, which they absolutely can do. And as you mentioned, the, the minutes here, are. I want to go through a couple of them because they're completely insane. Lowry, 43 minutes and 47 seconds. Van Vliet, 44-49. Pascal Siakam, 45-34. And all, four, all three of those guys basically played the entire second half and we're great and and I uh, you know Siakam has had his offensive struggles I want his shot chart in this one it was it was incredible at the early part of the game I think he was he was like four of five in on on twos and then like two of nine on threes ended the game three of three restricted three of four floater two of three from mid-range and then two of 13 from three didn't get to the foul line at all so I I thought that there were you know that, that he was getting to some better spots and that might actually be a transition to talking about the night or afternoon from hell for Jalen Brown oh man yeah I mean he hit he actually made his last two threes after starting 0 for 9 but he had 14 points negative 14 a team worst and 2 of 11 from 3 4 of 18 in total zero assists four fouls and also just played maybe the worst defensive game I've ever seen him play just losing guys on back doors uh, in particular losing guys for no reason when there wasn't even a screen like there's an Ananobi three where I guess Jalen Brown was just sort of waiting for him to come off a handoff which OG Ananobi almost never does in this offense and so he was sort of like cheating towards the handoff and they just threw him a pass with five on the shot clock he just hits the three with Jalen Brown not even there then he get, that got him subbed out of the game uh by Brad Stevens and, and Brown actually had a few struggles as well in in their I think it was game two um so in terms of just his defensive recognition so he hasn't had that great of a defensive series and I thought actually although he played better against Siakam in game three particularly once he had the four fouls I thought Siakam really was able to get pretty good looks against him in the post and they don't want to put Marcus Smart on him because they need Smart to chase around either Lowry or Van Vliet you could maybe hide and what they're trying to do a lot of times is hide Kemba Walker on Ananobi and then have Jalen Braun on Siakam Tatum and Smart as the guys chasing around Lowry and Van Vliet. I still think that Jalen Braun is a little bit better chasing around guys than Jason Tatum, and Tatum is a little bit better as a help defender. So I might consider going with Tatum more on Siakam, although obviously with all these like size guys and all the screens, I think the matchups change uh, periodically. Raptors again changed up a ton of defensive stuff too. Uh, as usual, they went to a box and one, they went to their matchup zone. It's really hard to keep up with it uh, in in real time on the cast particularly because they don't a lot of times they're like zoomed in on a player or something when they're setting up their defense so it's kind of hard to see it in real time but if you know us with a bird's eye view of it it's hard to know what defense they're running it's got to be tough to see it on the floor when you can't see the whole floor at once so uh, although you can at least hear them call out the defense uh, which you know to make sure everyone's in the same thing so that that helps you a little bit there uh, a, couple, um, a couple other things that I thought were, were yeah. notable from this one more from Toronto's perspective so one it gave put a little smile on my face is that going back a couple of years ago we talked about when the Celtics played the Bucks about how the pick and pop three is always available for big men and in some ways with the Celtics playing a lot a drop back with their centers now it can kind of be the same and Serge Ibaka drilled four threes in this game and that was a, a different wrinkle that he had that Marc Gasol did not Gasol had I, I thought Gasol played a better game in game four than he did in game three when I talked about how Ibaka should play over him I actually said it should be the opposite in this one um so that was one that I think is telling and I think those shots are going to be there for Ibaka I don't think he's going to make four of four every single time but it's going to be there and 
I am interested in, in kind of like where the rotations go from here, in part because Boston, especially when they tried going a little bit smaller and they had their bigs out on the floor, like there was this play where Daniel Tice was out on Fred Van Vliet. Their small guys did a terrible job defensive rebounding to me overall in this game. Toronto only got eight, but they were some big ones, including. Like- well, and the second chance points, like they had more than a 200 offensive rating. So they averaged more than two points per putback attempt on the offensive glass. I mean, that was a killer. So if I'm doing my math correctly, that would mean that they got 18 points on eight offensive rebounds. <laughs> in a game that's run yeah. one by seven yeah i mean maybe maybe there were some like team rebounds that they got something off of too but uh yeah i mean that was that was pretty insane um oh t- boston yeah. i thought they generally did a better job getting back but they are also a few just absolutely terrible transition defensive possessions for the Celtics, and a few bad ones yeah. offensively jason tatum drove into a crowd twice turned the ball over once and almost turned it over a second time so just some some kind of sloppiness also could be fatigue these guys are going both teams are going incredibly hard we've talked about the rap the Raptors guys but Boston had three guys over 40 minutes and Jalen was at 37 he probably would have played more if he had been better yeah and I mean just the incredible heart of Lowry and Van Fleet I mean Lowry that play where he ended up getting the jump ball uh, on after the lengthy review but just like to have played the entire second half beyond that many minutes and still just be shot out of a cannon after every loose ball and as a help defender he was great again I mean there's one play where he uh is on Tatum they double team Tatum up on the left wing outside the three-point line and this is remember that Lowry is guarding Tatum he's the main guy and as soon as Tatum makes the pass to the opposite side a center was open I think it was Tice underneath to whoever the pass was to and by the time it gets to the guy on the opposite side who could have thrown it down to the center Cal Lowry is sprinted from the three-point line all the way back to take away that pass to the center and that he was he could have easily been like okay Jason Tatum's my man I'm gonna just stay home on him whoever double teamed it's your I think it was Ibaka it's your job to get back there to Tyson Cal Lowry's like no this is a crisis Tice to be open I'm gonna just sprint back there and take care of it and then he drew a charge later in that very same possession because he was in the spot having guarded Tice that he he basically slid out from under Tice and got and got Jalen Brown on the on the turnover also Kyle Lowry did the game ceiling sell job I was something I was talking about on the live show that oh yeah you called that perfect Jason Tatum was using he uses his off arm to push off all the time like it's kind of a constant thing and Lowry was kind of he was eyeing it and then on it was I think Boston was down six or seven with a couple of possessions left in the game and Tatum went to that and Lowry did the like flailing his arms back and looked straight at the ref and and, and I mean it was a push off it was a that's what I call embellishment where there's legitimate contact and you sell it and Lowry's going to keep doing that because Tatum's going to keep doing that so adjustments number one to me is they are asking a lot of this guy on defense and I think he's been pretty good although he had a couple of ugly lapses on that really what ended up being the decisive run for the Raptors when Van Vliet hit two threes and Ibaka hit one to put him up 79-68 but Kemba Walker has got to take more than nine shots more than three two-point attempts although he did get to the foul line some in the third to kind of keep them in it and he had eight assists but I think they just need to run more through him uh and he only had 15 points I mean whenever he actually attacked like it looked great right and it's just there was a lot of Marcus Smart and a lot of Tatum who I think didn't have it you know they weren't running stuff through Jalen Brown initially but I think just it's not that sexy but a little bit more of Kemba Walker at the top he's really the guy who's drawing two people I thought Tatum despite like an okay statistical game 
and a couple of nice passes to set up corner threes. He could have had a better night if they'd actually hit some shots. But I thought his 24 points in 43 minutes was a little misleading, even though he was 10 of 18 from the field. He didn't hit any of his threes, which hurt. He didn't get to the foul line nearly as much. And he had five turnovers. That's always an indicator as well. And some of those weird floaters went in in this game where they had not earlier in the series. And the prediction would be that they're not going to moving forward. Something I want to drop a pin in. And yes, these are not the best lineups for the Celtics because that's why Grant Williams is on the floor. Boston had a 92 offensive rating when Grant Williams was out there. And part of that is because the Raptors just don't care about him as a shooter. They don't respect him there. And so that allows them to gum up the works everywhere else. And it is a real challenge for a team, especially when Boston's in some of those more limited units, to generate offense if one of their players isn't being guarded. And so one of the ways you can get around that is using Grant Williams as a screener. But he's, and and that can work, and you know that he's been a plus-minus guy and lots of the other stuff. But I think that in this specific series, there are some real challenges there. And Ojale, at least he can take and hit some of those shots more comfortably than Grant Williams stuff. Yeah, I thought Ojale had, had a nice second quarter. He uh, he actually hit a three, which was uh, those were pretty few and far he, between. And got, got, got fouled. That that just yeah. where he tried to like go through Marcus Ola was the correct call. Uh, and they went. They didn't really play Robert Williams as much in the second because I think once Ibaka started hitting the threes, they went to Grant Williams to get a little bit more mobility um, on on Ibaka and that pick and pop. And then the, they really got hurt on the defensive glass. So Williams would come over and help. And as you mentioned, the guards just didn't do a good enough job. There's one play where Marcus Smart just let OJ Anunoby run in from the corner. They had four Celtics around him. All Smart had to do was just like get even a whiff of a touch on him. And the ball would just bounce to one of the other three Celtics who were there. Instead, he just decided to like try and go get the rebound himself. And Anunoby got like right inside of him and got a put back. That was a killer. Um, so the Celtics execution was not great. You mentioned the transition defense, particularly in the first quarter. Obviously, as these guys are playing 45 minutes, it's going to slow down. Uh, and the, the course of the game, it was only about 93 possessions in this one, which would be about the, I think that's slower than the slowest paced team well, in the league. Do you but know part of as, the reason yeah. why? Do you want to guess the proportion of plays these teams played in the half court? It was. I mean, it ended up as a shitload, particularly for Boston. They had no fast breaks at all. It was over 90% for each team. Yeah. That's incredible. And that's what part of why the possessions were going so long. I've lamented that I think Boston's offense takes a little longer to get into. And we should mention, I mean, he's come up a couple times in passing. OG Inunobi continues to do just the right things when he's out there on the floor. I thought his defense has been great. He doesn't really make many mistakes. Had a couple of turnovers, but like fighting for offensive rebounds, but still getting back on defense. And he's yeah. not the star, but he fits what they do so well. Yeah, and when he's on Tatum, I think he makes things very difficult for Tatum. I mean, we haven't seen any really Tatum isos. Tatum hasn't hasn't really been able to get to those sidestep threes or the threes off the pick and roll in this series as things have gone on. So I the Raptors absolutely can win this series. Oh, like, yeah. It wouldn't shock me if that happens at this point, and I do think it's going to go seven. I do think the Celtics are still getting slightly better shots. Uh, I think that they still have the two biggest offensive threats in the series, but uh, Siakam's starting to get going a little bit now. Tatum looking not quite as good. Walker, only nine shots. So all that could change. It's, I mean, we thought it was going to be a really close series, and it's uh, it's turned out to be that way. Um, also, something that you should do before we go is to sign up. You've got as we record this, about 48 hours left to get on to Dunked On Prime before we go subscription with this podcast four days a week. As of that point, we will be offering monthly memberships. And also, if you're in a difficult financial situation, just send us a quick email, dunkedonprime at gmail.com, and we'll get back to you shortly after the official launch of the monthly uh, to give you that special pricing uh, as well. Just send us an email with a sentence or two uh, asking for it, and uh, we'll give it to you. 
so that'll do it for today thanks so much for listening and we got three more playoff games to talk about tomorrow in fact as i'm looking at this now denver is up 13 at the end of the third so maybe that'll be a really interesting game to talk about tomorrow till then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.